Coming up next on Tech News Weekly, it's me, Jason Howell, and I start the show off talking with my good pal Florence Ion from Gizmodo. She pits the new Apple iPhone 15 Pro against Google's Pixel lineup. Ooh. Uh, I am Micah Sargent, and I invite on Hugh Langley of Business Insider to talk about the updates coming to Google Bard. Now it can take a look at your Gmail and maybe tell you when your flight is? I certainly hope so. <laughs> Sam Moscovich joins. It's been a long time since he was on last. It's the perfect opportunity because Microsoft had an intense leak of Xbox information. Sam breaks it all down in detail. And then I round things out with my story of the week about everything, or most everything, that Amazon announced at its ALEXA event. It's all that coming up on Tech News Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 304, recorded Thursday, September 21st, 2023. iPhone 15 Pro versus Google Pixel. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by ZocDoc, the free app where you can find and book appointments online with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed physicians and specialists. Filters specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition. Go to ZocDoc.com TNW and download the ZocDoc app for free. And by Discourse, the online home for your community. Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate anytime, anywhere. Visit discourse.org slash twit to get one month free on all self-serve plans. And by Melissa. More than 10,000 clients worldwide rely on Melissa for full-spectrum data quality and ID verification software. Make sure your customer contact data is up-to-date. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent. I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. Good to see you, Micah. Good to see you, Jason, although I'm looking at you through the smoke that is apparently in the air. <laughs> yeah, the uh, air quality is is not good. I don't know what it's, what it's even attributed to. It's not like there's... I just saw something this morning about wildfires, so I don't know. Man, a couple of years ago, we were so on top of it when this happened, yeah. and now we're like, uh, yeah. it's just uh, climate just so change. There's so much to think about. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> so yeah, much to pay right. attention to. Oh, man, so I can't think to... of smoke around all this AI that's uh, <laughs> happening everywhere. Um, also, all of these Apple devices that are apparently happening, happening everywhere. That's my attempt at a segue into our first interview. Uh, Apple brought the noise and raised the roof with its latest... <laughs> Raid the roof. <laughs> Pro iPhone, the iPhone 15 Pro. Uh, good friend and former co-host from All About Android, Florence Ion, joins us to share her take from her Gizmodo piece. And Flo, first yes. of all, it's so great to see you. Hi, Flo. Thank you. It's so great to see you guys. It's, it's nice to know that I you're behind us you staring at our screens. Yes. <laughs> reading, our, reading our laptops. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no. don't look at that. Um, that's my script for the interview. Um, this has all the cheats on it. The answer is <laughs> right. I uh, really appreciated your article because it wasn't just like, hey, this is the new iPhone 15 Pro. It was looking at the iPhone 15 Pro, and yes, it is a review, but it's also kind of a comparison point against what competitors have going uh, in the Android space. Namely, I'd say primarily 
Google and its latest uh, smartphone, at least for the moment anyways, the Pixel 7 Pro. We've got the 8 and the 8 Pro coming uh, in a matter of a couple of weeks, right? Are you going to be following or covering that live event when it happens? I'm going to be weeks? in New York City for the Made by Google event, so I will be there right to. On. I will probably bring the iPhone 15 Pro yeah. Max with me <laughs> to Smart. do to do that initial um, comparison. I'm really looking forward to getting those two devices head to head, and I didn't spend as much time on the Pixel Seven Pro like. Com- I didn't spend as much time retesting it because I kind of, you know, I've had this year with these devices. And so whatever, what was going on with the 15 Pro, like I'm really feeling it. And and really it comes down to the minute you pick up an iPhone, like it feels like a more premium experience than what the Pixels have been the last couple of generations, Mm. which is frustrating. Okay. So I do want to, I just want to quickly throw a kudos though. Not that, you know, Companies need my kudos, but <laughs> they're thirsty yeah, for your for the, kudos flow. Right. Uh, <laughs> Samsung, honestly, when you look at like the comparison of specs, like if you're just doing spec by spec, Samsung is the one that's more closely aligned with what the iPhone is doing and its pro lineup. I mean, even down to like that periscopic camera system, mm-hmm. like, that was something that debuted on the S23 Ultra this year. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was like very excited to try it in the 15 Pro Max. Indeed. So, so, so the, here's the first question that I have for you, and you just kind of yes. set it up um, a few seconds ago. From the moment you pick up the new iPhone, it feels like a different yeah. experience. It feels like there's something tangible about that experience that feels more premium or like if you had to put your finger on it, what is that difference? What What is it coming from Android land Picking up the iPhone, like what? Because I mean, there are a lot of really well-designed uh, Android phones, um, but but yet, I think this is a, this is an opinion that a lot of people have when they pick up an iPhone. It just feels different. Yes, um, Samsung's devices are actually very <laughs> well-designed. Yeah, uh, kind of along the lines. I didn't mean to like mention Samsung so much today, but I've just been thinking a lot about it, just the trajectory of the phones. Yeah, so the iPhone. 15 Pro in particular, that new titanium casing mm. is really, it's it's really in its favor because it makes it seem lighter. It's only an ounce lighter, but like I like to go hiking, you know, we live here in California with these beautiful hills when it's not smoky. And I usually bring a small pack with me and a big thing of water. And so the small pack, I would notice when I would pack the 14 Pro that it would Pro Max, it would add this like bit of heft that I wasn't getting from any Pixel device that I had on me. But the trade-off of that is that the Pixels, they feel hollow when you pick them up, Hmm. which just immediately, there's just something about like the hollow feel that's like, you know, it, it just doesn't feel completed. I don't like hollow. Yeah, if I pick up a phone yeah. and I feel that hollow quality, if you can it's knock on it a- and it makes an echo, it's, <laughs> it's, it, there's too much. You know, there's too much open space on the inside, which makes me think. You know, what is this in shock resistance? Like, what's rattling around in there? And not to mention, um, yeah, squirrels reject nuts that do that. You know, they (laughs) not that one. (laughs) Apple must employ a ton of squirrels in their their design department. Okay, this phone gets nope. That one's. I was gonna say Cupertino used to be all what orchards, so it makes sense. True, yeah, totally, it checks out. And actually, what you're saying reminds me of of some other news that happened this week. Uh, The uh, the what is it? The opening of the Pixel tablet. 
And of course, Ron Amadio and oh, Ars yeah. Technica, you know, being very like finger wagging at the fact that when you take a look on the inside of that Pixel device, and I'm curious to know how that compares with other of Google's devices, there's a lot of open space and it, like it's not as tightly packed. And we know that Apple is so like top of the heap when it comes to how they design these devices, how they position every element to provide the best balance, yeah. to fill the space with the components, the meaningful components that matter. So that's probably what you're feeling. I'm not, you know, I've spent a long time trying not to touch this ecosystem, but like the more I live in it, you know, even half the time, the more I learn about so much that we could be doing better mm-hmm. on the Android side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing is just uh, the way that they contoured the edges. I know it's it's like sounds very marketing fluff. Is it from keynote, from everything we've read. <laughs> I think it's not this time. Yeah, but, it's, it's not, but it's a fun word to say. They're, they're, they're more yeah. rounded this time around. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they're more rounded. It's and like guess what? Rounding. They feel more comfortable to hold in the hand because the last couple of iPhones had this very sharp edge about it, mm-hmm. which made them feel um, almost inhospitable, I want to say. You know, when you have mm-hmm. a phone that's like that, it, it's like driving a car with those big spikes coming out of the wheels. Mm-hmm. It's it's rude, you know. So, <laughs> the new iPhones it's are less rude. <laughs> That's the tagline. The new iPhone less rude than ever. <laughs> Love it. What about the action really, button? I mean, what do you think of the action button? Yes, the action because, button. Because because that I'm was so a feature actually, that I, like my initial knee jerk reaction was, oh, we've had those on Android before. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, well, actually, I don't know that we have had like an action button that you can completely program or have we i was trying to think about it remember the tapping on the back well there is that yes i remember that that's clever used to have so so that Mm -hmm. yes i did recall that i guess i was thinking like the literal like button that you press that does the thing but yeah we had that and you could program that ish you could give it a number of you know different options right and there were android phones with like a ruggedness to them they were very much like a contractor's phone so you could make the action button you know like call a person that you need call to call Dale or you know turn on Tell infrared. To get over here stat yeah yeah exactly yeah. uh this is the action button you know by default it's just a mute button which is great because I you know as I said in my review I get my nails done every two weeks and it's just easier to press a button than it is to try and flip a little switch especially when you have long mm. claws I was very appreciative of that I also liked the idea of okay well I'm going car camping you know I need my flashlight to go yeah, to the outhouse at night mm-hmm. <laughs> so just you know the action button is so much easier than totally. trying to go in you know shuffling through menus to turn on a flashlight so it's it's a convenience thing I imagine they would bring it to the regular iPhone series in the next couple of versions and they're just kind of like trying it out because that's what the pro series is now it's like a a preview of what you're going to get right yeah the dynamic island now on more phones not just the pros so yeah it seems to be I like the dynamic island do you you do you live on the island a lot (laughs) it's good for like checking in on stuff without it taking up the whole you know like on Android we'll get a notification it'll take up kind of the top third of the screen and, you know, the dynamic island is a little less invasive in that way because it just kind of stretches out along the side where you're already not interacting with much of the interface. So, like, these are all thoughtful things. 
And gorgeous photos, by the you way. Know, it's, I just want to give, yeah, give yeah. you props for the. Oh, I, I love the. the thank you. I. <laughs> thank you. I am try. You know, iterating every time. Every time <laughs> I, you know, figure out how to use this room as a studio. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of thoughtful things about the Apple ecosystem that I think it feels very frustrating as a longtime Android user because it's it's making it less easy for me to be like, well, I'm going to stay on Android. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. well, maybe the flip side of that is use the phone that works for you. You know what I mean? Like we 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 dig our heels into these things for some reason. And we're like, no, dang it. I'm always Android. But I mean, for a lot it's of a people, convenience thing, too. Yeah. Well, that's true. Thing. We we get really yeah. invested in into one side and it makes it harder to, to switch to the other. But I mean, I don't think that you're alone, I guess, is my point. A lot. There are a lot of people that have been on Android for a very long time, thought I'm never switching. And that, you know, the, the gap between what Apple offers and has always been kind of known to be good at. And then the things that it hadn't done yet, because air quotes, Android's always open and allows you to do so much more. I mean, that gap is shrinking. That's also um, an issue with it being so open. That's why the Apple experience is a little more friendly to the user because mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about all these things that they have to set up in the background. Like you really don't have to go through the settings as an iOS user. Like they will, right. they, they just give you a phone to use. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's the dichotomy we still have going on. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the oh. focal length thing? That was um, the, the kind of adjustable focal length. Is that really a helps. feature that's really useful? Seems like it yeah, would be. it really helps with like taking pictures of kids and pets. Yes, because yeah. that's what they told us to take pictures with. And um, as I was explaining to a friend yesterday, she was asking me, she's like, should I update from the 12? And I was like, yes, because honestly, Having that ability to scale in without actually cropping the photo as you would with like a two x, um, it it may mm-hmm. you know it, it uh, preserves a little more of the photo. And when you're already taking like a smartphone photo, you want to preserve as much of it as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a, a full blown camera system. So I appreciate the option, even if it is at you know at its core a software trick, because these aren't physical. You know. Certain super physical lenses, like doing the deed, mm-hmm. um, but it helps. It really helps uh, to get the the subtle blur behind, you know, your person as you're shooting a photo of them without taking an aggressive portrait shot. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, any, because I know we're we're kind of reaching the end of the interview. Is there any like striking, like as an as should I just call you Miss Android? Miss Android. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> coming sure coming out of this. appreciates that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least for now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Miss yes. Android, you never know. She could be Miss something in the future. We'll see. Um, are you tempted by any particular thing from this experience um, to kind of uh, kind of change your thinking on on what phone you want or what you want to see from Android? Like, what, what are, are you asking there? if Flo is a traitor? I know. I'm asking if she's curious. <laughs> like, I mean, I think I know from my personal experience, yeah. I used Android forever. And then I did kind of the switch. Um, we've done the switch. We well, I don't think we have. Did. No, it was with Megan. With Megan, yeah. I was wondering, because that's yeah. right. When Megan every left, time, we, we every talked time about Jason it. Jason is asked, I'm like, <laughs> but I mean, I've maybe done those. Maybe after the Pixel 8. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Maybe. Maybe the Pixel 8. Yeah. I, I doubt it. Um, 
but I mean, I, I did those experiences and I was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't enough to woo me over, but I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I see why people are really, really into this. Like, what what has this kind of experience told you, uh, again, Miss Android, about uh, kind of iOS in your life? Uh, I think Apple really understands its users and like what they want out of their devices. Like, I really feel like they are just reading forums and just trying to make things happen where they can. Um, I'm particularly struck by this ability to tether your iPhone as a camera Mm -hmm. to your Mac. Mm -hmm. Uh, I understand that that's like a very pro level thing to even consider. And technically it's not live yet. So I haven't even really reviewed it to speak to its efficacy. But the idea of having that kind of ability within an ecosystem Mm -hmm. is, you know, like that's, that's why you want a company that controls everything from the inside out. Yeah, sure. Because then you can do stuff like that. So that's kind of what I am. Then you can do stuff like that and it'll just work. Just work. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah, just work. It doesn't always work, right? That's but how Leo for the most part, uh, hosted from uh, Rhode Island yeah. for the Apple event was using continuity camera. Um, and it looked really good. It looked it great. Was, it was it sharp. It was great and there was no delay. So yeah, I agree that that uh, that sort of everything working together is nice um, mm-hmm. in, in that aspect, but there are then the, the trade-offs of, of um, you know, he, the, to, to kind of further with this, uh, he ended up giving the phone that he has now as iPhone to his uh, sister. And so because mm-hmm. of that, from the point he left Rhode Island until now, he has not really been able to use his Apple Watch because the Apple Watch was paired with that uh, iPhone. Oh, no. And so those kinds of things are the the hurdle that you have, right? Oh, Where point, when everything yeah. works mm-hmm. together, it all needs to work together. And when it's not all there to work together, yeah. it doesn't all work together. When it's all synced up, it works great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> That's all we hope. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing over at Gizmodo and, uh, you know, checking out what it's like me. on the other side of the fence and seeing, <laughs> seeing where you get to. And uh, thanks for coming on because, Flo, Flo, it's been a while since I podcast with you and I miss you in my life. So thank you. I know. I miss you too. Jason, you need to post more TikToks. <laughs> Put it out there. All right, I'll do my best. I'll I'll try when I can. Uh, uh, <laughs> Flo uh, writes for Gizmodo. Of course, you can also hear her on the Material Podcast with Andy and Otko. Thank you, Flo. Yep. We'll see Bye, you guys. soon. Bye. Take care. All righty. Up next, Google Bard got an update with new integrations. We'll learn a bit about that momentarily. But first, uh, let's take a quick break so I can tell you about our first sponsor today. It's ZocDoc, who are bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. So you know that feeling when you get, whenever you finally find that thing that you have been searching for on the internet. You know, you've done the research. You spend hours and hours doing the research, reading a bunch of reviews, uh, reading uh, Flow's reviews, uh, trying to figure out what people think about this thing. And finally, you, you find it. You, you get the exact answer that you're looking for. You find that product, that thing. Well, it could be sparkly disco pants, designer dog hoodies, a new phone, whatever it is, it checks all the boxes you have and it's got five stars and it arrives at just 48 hours. Ah, it's such a great feeling. So why is it that you can get this special thing in just two days? But if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment. Why? Not to mention 
you know, you don't even know necessarily if they're going to be good. And then you're back on the hunt for another doctor. Well, there is a way to solve this, to find that thing. In this case, that doctor, it's called ZocDoc, a place to find and book great doctors who have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients, not bots. And the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 48 hours. That's it. You can even score same day appointments. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately with just a few taps in the app. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with the receptionist. So go to ZocDoc.com slash TNW and download the ZocDoc app for free. I know all of you out there, very clever, can go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and type in ZocDoc. Don't do that. Please let them know that you heard about the app here Head to ZocDoc.com slash TNW and find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash TNW. Thank you, ZocDoc, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. ZocDoc.com slash TNW. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it's time to talk about our next story. I... Uh, happened across a announcement um, earlier this week about Google uh, sort of improving upon the Bard experience, which, frankly, I think it needs to do. So I was curious to hear about what all is changing when it comes to Bard, uh, what's new, and kind of what improvements the company has done. Joining us today to talk about it is Hugh Langley of Insider, who has written about the new updates. Welcome back to the show, Hugh. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, so let's uh, have you start by telling us all about Google Bard. How does it kind of compare to OpenAI's ChatGPT that I think many people are familiar with? And of course, Microsoft's Copilot, which is sort of under the hood, OpenAI's technology. Yeah, I mean, so Bard is Google's uh, chatbot. Um, as it's often referred to. Um, it's similar to ChatGPT, which many people have used. You ask it questions, you give it prompts, it'll tell you things, ask it, ask it um, you know, any, any kind of uh, question really, um, and it'll give you a response. Um, it is, it's similar in a lot of ways uh, to ChatGPT. One of its advantages is it's a bit more up to date in terms of the information. Um, ChatGPT's, uh, I still think the information kind of stops around 2021. Mm. Um, so, so it's it's pulling a kind of more recent information. Um, but it's quite similar in terms of uh, what it's meant to do. And um, Microsoft obviously has its own one. I actually saw today they just announced uh, a kind of rebirth of what they're calling Copilot. Um, Probably not coincidentally timed very close to the Bard news, and <laughs> and, and like Bard, Microsoft saying you know it's going to be your uh, assistant for uh, all of its kind of enterprise products. So we're uh, you know what these things are is sort of changing uh, by the day, really. Mm-hmm. Now, Google's Bard has been the butt of many a joke, including a few of my own uh, at this point, and that's due to it up to this point 
providing responses that just don't seem to be on par with what uh, we've seen from something like OpenAI's ChatGPT. But the company rolled out a new version of its large language model. So I'm curious, does that mean we're going to see improvements to its responses? So theoretically, that's the idea. So Google did update Bard with its latest large language model, which is known as Palm 2, P-A-L-M 2, a few months ago. But what they've done this week is they've rolled out what they're calling a sort of finer, uh, a newer version of that same model. Um, It's had some new kind of fine tuning uh, is is the technical term for these uh, uh, large language models um, and some some various improvements to, to the base model. Um, so it should be a a little better. What really is happening is they've done this in time with some new abilities. Um, so they announced these extensions. So Bard can now function in tandem with other Google apps. Um, and that's, that's kind of where some of these improvements to the language model are are coming from. Uh, it's still going to make mistakes though. You know, we call them hallucinations. Um, and yes, you're right out the gate. You know, there was a, there was a bit of a gaffe for them. Um, I think Bard made some sort of factual error when they first showed it off to the press. I think it, <laughs> it made some mistake about the, I think it was the James Webb telescope um, and made some, some factual inaccuracy about that. So it, it was a bit of a PR disaster out the door for them. Um, it has gotten better. Uh-huh. And then the introduction of Palm 2 uh, a few months back uh, has certainly improved it. But as you say, you know, like ChatGPT, uh, all of these, mod, you know, these uh, chatbots uh, are certainly prone to making um, errors. Um, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what Bard can do as of this latest update. The company is integrating it with many of its own services, YouTube, Maps, Google Flights, etc. And we'll talk about what it can do with your information soon. But let's first start by talking about these these kind of services available to everyone. Can you give us some examples of how Bard can be used for YouTube or Maps or Google Flights? Sure. So what they've done is they've effectively integrated Bard with these, you know, they're just calling them extensions, which is what they are. Uh, Bard can now communicate with YouTube, um, uh, Google Shopping, um, Google Flights as well, um, and Google Maps. So if you want to, say, ask it for to give you some directions uh, from a place, it will now, you know, pull that information from Google Maps. It will actually bring the map up into Bard, so you'll be able to see it. Um, it's also integrating with other apps that will require um, specific consent from the user. That's uh, So Gmail uh, and Workspace uh, will integrate if the user gives consent, and that will mean you'll be able to ask Bard to find something in your email. Maybe you want to ask it to say, I don't know, summarize an uh, upcoming trip I have, um, and it'll search your Gmail and sort of try its best to synthesize that information into a summary within Bard. So it's about kind of, you know, it's really Google doing what we expected they would do, which is to just kind of tap into all of their um, very popular apps and, and put them all. So they're sort of feeding that information into Bard. Okay. So you can also grant it permission to access your Gmail, as you mentioned, but also your docs, your, your personal docs and Google drive. Um, so outside of Gmail, which we just talked about, what are the use cases uh, for Bard in terms of accessing the content that I have? And then I guess more than that, how does that kind of set Google's Bard apart from the competition? 
Yeah, so for example, you know, documents, you might want to ask it to like summarize a, a document or, or a spreadsheet I have in my uh, drive um, and it might try and sort of come up with a simple summary or, or, or pull together, you know, multiple documents and, and summarize that, that information. Um, in terms of what that does, I mean, you know, like I mentioned today, what we saw from Microsoft with their new Copilot, um, that makes, it sounds like that's going to do a kind of similar thing. So again, they're sort of both moving quite fast. I think what Google's advantage here is, is just how many of these super popular apps they have, you know, Gmail, um, Docs, Workspace, um, you know, these are multi-billion user products. Um, and Google's, that that's kind of Google's advantage with all of this stuff. You know, they already had these very popular consumer facing products out there. So what they've been trying to do over the past few months is really um, supercharge them, I suppose, with, uh, with its uh, AI technology and, and with Bard. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have seen uh, tech companies banning employee use of LLM-based chatbots due to the concern that proprietary information might be used to train the model. For people who are listening who are not techie, what that means is um, sometimes you'll have employees at, say, a tech company called Peach um, who are playing around with chatbots and they might end up uh, trying to see if it can do some coding for them. So they put in some proprietary code from the iPeach. No, wait, the iPhone Peach. We'll go with that. Anyway, um, and then that ends up getting used in that chatbot's training information. And so companies are going, whoa, 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 you know, we don't want this to to end up getting uh, scooped up and potentially, you know, spread across the world. So my question is, uh, given that concern from kind of a, a corporate level, will Google be using my personal information in Gmail docs and drive to train Bard? Because I really don't want it stealing all those brilliant song lyrics that I've written over the years. Yeah, no, it's a totally valid concern. It was probably my first question for them when I spoke to them about the announcement um, last week. So they're saying no. Um, so first of all, you do have to grant permission for integration with Gmail, Docs, Workspace. Um, and then beyond that, they're saying that information that you use with Bard will not be used for training purposes. Mm-hmm. Other information you're using with Bard, you know, may be used. They, they've said that. So Yes, if you're if you're using, you know, you're pulling information from your emails, um, all that stuff. They're saying will not be used by, uh, for training and will not be seen by any uh, reviewers who are working to improve Bard. Understood. Um, and then let's see. Um, I guess another question is. Um, you know, I, I actually did end up using this feature earlier this week. I gave it permission to access my drive, uh, my personal drive. And um, I used to uh, work as a, a tech journalist at a company where we used Google Docs to, to write our transcripts. And then, you know, we put them into the CMS and blah, 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 blah. So I've got a lot of uh, tech that I've written about in the past. So I thought I'll test it. I will uh, tell it to look through my Google Drive and surface some of the tech topics I've written about in the past and then kind of summarize them for me. So it, I asked it to do that, but instead of summarizing the topics I've written about, it confidently presented me with a bunch of topics and three or four articles that it said that I had written that I absolutely had not written uh, and said they were mine. And what's, what's interesting, you said something earlier that made this make a little bit more sense. You said that uh, Bard's LLM has more recent data. And so now it makes sense why those topics, which were about 
um, stuff that we're talking about today that was definitely not around when I was writing about tech at the time were some of these articles that said I had written. So I followed up and said, um, can you show me where I've actually written about that? Because I know that I've not written about that. And then it proceeded to apologize and say that it made all of this up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my question is, what is Google doing about hallucination and misinformation when it comes to uh, its tie-ins with your, you know, your Gmail, your Docs, your Drive, but then also something like, I mean, I, I could imagine I ask it to uh, give me the, the rankings for the top five candy stores in San Francisco and then a map to the location. And then I show up and it's just a parking lot uh, that costs way too much to park in. Um, and that's because it's completely made that up. Uh, what are they doing about misinformation uh, and hallucination here? Yeah, it's still a huge problem with these chatbots. So part of the update this week is another feature where when you ask, so so Bard already had a little, it was like a, it's a Google it button, like a little G icon. So when you ask Bard a question, it would give you the response and then you could Google that response as well. It's like a shortcut to Googling the same thing you asked it, right? So if you wanted to sort of verify, check the information, you could do that. What they've done now is they've kind of gone another step with that. So when you hit that button, what you'll now see is it will will highlight all of the text and it will highlight the text in two colors, green and then a a sort of orangey brown color. Now, the green means um, this is corroborated with something on, you know, through a Google search. And you can you can hover over that and and click it. It will give you the link and you can click it um, and it will take you to to that URL and you can see what's corroborating that information. When it's the orangey-brown color, that means uh, that's Bard saying, you know, this may or may not be correct. I could not corroborate this with anything through Google search. So it's basically Google, you know, rolling out a feature that sort of tells you when the product might be wrong, which is kind of funny for a, for a tech company to do that. But it's really important because, like you said, there's they, these confident errors, I think sometimes we refer to them as, which is where Bard is just, or ChatGPT or whatever, just telling you something in, in a very, like, straightforward, confident way. And it, it's easy to believe what it's saying. So what Google's doing now is going to highlight where maybe it's getting it wrong. It's not to say that it is wrong, but it's to say that, okay, this can't be corroborated and and that's something you probably want to to double check yourself. But right. yeah, I I personally I um I mean I'm still so just just earlier uh, yesterday actually I, I tried to get it to summarize an upcoming flight uh, from my Gmail and it, it just made up a date like it just it got it completely wrong. But then I asked <laughs> to do it again um, a few hours later and it and it got it spot on. Oh. So um, yeah, so in terms of the highlighting so far, it doesn't seem that that works with the integrations, but it does still work with the questions uh, and responses. Understood. And then uh, my last question for you, if folks want to find these new BARD features uh, to try them out for themselves, is is there like a, is there a place they go or do they just do a Google? Like how do they get uh, access to this new BARD stuff? Yeah, it's, it's been rolled out instantly. So if you go onto Bard, as long as you're using the the personal version of Bard, it's, it's not currently working in the um, like enterprise workspace version. So as long as your Google account is just like a standard Google account, um, when you go onto Bard, you'll actually see it in the corner as a little like uh, jigsaw puzzle. Uh, I guess the universal symbol for extensions these days and you click that and it will bring up, um, it will show you the, all of the extensions. And then with the ones I mentioned, some of them you will need to give that explicit permission. There was a little toggle you hit. Um, and then I think it asks you again, maybe if you're okay with them doing this. Uh-huh. And then from that point, you shouldn't really need to think about it. 
Um, Google suggests as well, like when you're using these extensions within Bard to like, so you to like sort of tag the app you're wanting to use. So like check my app symbol, Gmail, a little ah. Gmail icon will appear and then you can do that. It actually worked once when I, I didn't do that. So you might want to, uh, maybe both works, but, but I think you're meant to try, you're meant to tag these apps. So, uh, to, to increase the likelihood of actually getting it right okay well there's a good tip yeah we want we wanted to get it right and not uh, tell mm-hmm. us a flight's coming up that doesn't exist um hugh Langley, always a pleasure to have you on the show of course folks can head over uh to business insider to check out this piece but if they want to follow you online to keep up with your work where should they go to do that uh they can go to uh i was about to call it twitter x uh i'm just at hugh langley uh, on there and I try to share as much as I can, maybe less so these days, but yeah, that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. Yeah. And you know, twitter.com still works. Mm-hmm. So I like to just pretend that it's still Twitter because I can still enter that into the URL bar and it still takes me there. It'll probably disappear next week. Yeah. At this point. Cause I said just that in out time. Loud. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Up next, Microsoft got really leaky. They're leaking out a bunch of stuff all over the place. It's going everywhere and it's not good. Somebody had a really bad day. Uh, we'll talk about that. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Discourse, the online home for your community, for our community. We have a, a Twit community with Discourse. We love it. For over a decade, Discourse has made it their mission to make the internet a better place for online communities because that's what it's all about, right? One giant community. By harnessing the power of discussion, real-time chat, and AI, Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate with your community anytime, anywhere. So if you want to actually create a community like we have done, you can visit discourse.org slash twit. Make sure and go to that URL. You're going to get one month free on all self-serve plans when you do that. It's trusted by some of the largest companies in the world. Discourse is open source. It powers more than 20,000 online communities. So whether you're just starting out or you want to take your current community to the next level, you want to level it up, there's a plan for you. They've got a basic plan for a private invite-only community, a standard plan if you want unlimited members, and then, of course, a public presence along with that. And then finally, a business plan for active customer support communities. Jonathan Bulava is the developer uh, advocacy lead at Twitch, actually said, quote, Discourse is the most amazing thing we have ever used. We have never experienced software so reliable ever. Wow. That's a, that's a big proclamation and true. One of the biggest advantages to creating your own community with Discourse is that you own your own data, right? It's your data. You will always have access to all of your conversation history. Discourse will never sell your data to advertisers. Discourse gives you everything you need in one place. So make Discourse the online home for your community. Visit discourse.org slash twit. And like I said, you'll get one month free on all self-serve plans. Take your pick. That's discourse.org slash twit. And we thank them for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right. So like I said, someone at Microsoft mm. 
had a really bad day this week. Uh, not happy. Maybe a team was not happy. I don't know. But the I do know that the FTC is blaming Microsoft for this unprecedented leak uh, this week of the company's gaming roadmap all the way out to 2028. I mean, it's kind of like the full money, really. Uh, joining me to talk our way through all of it is, well, it's the triumphant return of Sam Moscovich. Sam, it's been too long. How are you doing, been Sam? It's far too long. I, I love that it took maybe the largest largest gaming sector leak in years to bring me on but if that's what it takes to get your thunder uh then i will take it i will accept this lightning i will accept this yes wild news where do you want to begin well i mean i think maybe we start with the case itself because this is all tied to the microsoft activision blizzard case um, that we definitely talked about on the show um, in you know past several weeks. How does a leak of this magnitude happen when it's being directed through like a case like this? And obviously, like I said, FTC is blaming Microsoft. So what did Microsoft do wrong here in the confines of this case? So as far as disclosure goes with these kinds of antitrust cases, because Microsoft wants to spend a lot of money, billions, on acquiring one of the largest console, uh, computer, and phone gaming conglomerates, Activision Blizzard King. Remember, this ranges from World of Warcraft to Call of Duty to Candy Crush and a lot of in-between. So that kind of disclosure uh, where you've got to just upload files in a more internet-connected court system. So somebody, nobody's saying who. Uh, Microsoft has yet to come out and say, we did it. It's Mm. our fault. Or, you know, Joe in accounting did it. But somebody uh, in the course of making documents available for all review possible uh, hit the wrong button or uploaded the wrong non-redacted file. This is supposed to be a place where redacted files would go to eventually, I believe, be publicly oh uh, revealed. So the unredacted ones, even though the files in question have the word redacted in them as if that was the intent. Oh. So you end up with a ton of these documents. What's really striking is uh, a lot of them aren't just transcripts, which you would understand, okay, well, we can redact all the sensitive stuff and still have certain timelines and people in the conversation be public. So those being unredacted is intense, but then you just have entire product announcement categories that would have required a massive black shape over what the shape of a controller so <laughs> yeah. it's really confusing as to not just the lack of redaction but also the scope of the documents this is a lot of internal information that people would kill to see just an average because there's so much smoke and mirrors in the modern gaming and entertainment space of we're going to wait and we're going to wait and we're going to get you hyped up with little tidbits every two to three oh months and that's whoosh, that's a lot of that's gone now that's that's what's so interesting about this. Okay, so let's um first let's dive into I, I think uh one thing that cracks me up about a leak like this is yes, everybody's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe something like this happened. But so quickly it just veers into all right, what are we not yeah. supposed to know? What tell yeah. us what's the details. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to not go there. So let's go there and then we'll come back and kind of talk a little bit about kind of the impact that this potentially has on Microsoft when your when your goods are spilled entirely. So what would you say is the most valuable piece of information that Microsoft did not want to give, but they apparently did? Oh, I, it's hard to count that because I think for some people, it's the specific hardware announcements, yeah. which I'll get to. But I personally think it's the clear numbers 
and clear answers. Now, there's a lot of back and forth emails that are full threads with every reply in the conversation from major stakeholders. Phil Spencer being the most obvious, well-known because he's a very public face of Xbox. He's sort of the chief of the Xbox division and was promoted in the Microsoft hierarchy as one of the largest leaders in the entire company, but also a lot of the major players in that consumer electronics division. Uh, so we're seeing specific numbers or number of games sold, number of Xbox Game Pass subscriptions, number of hours that are played, which is a very large metric mm. that they're very, very intent on. They really want number of hours. And that's just interesting to know that they care about that metric. There's a number 1.5 billion was a subsidy that they marked for the Series X and Series S boxes, those new consoles, in its first holiday season. That's massive. So we also have these well-placed guesses from Microsoft about its peers. Like, here's one example that kind of blows my mind. They believe that the privately held company Valve, who makes Steam and a lot of PC games and sells a lot of PC games, is worth roughly 7 or $8 billion in their estimation. That's not them just pulling a number out of the hat. They have good intel to lead them to that number. And as a privately held company, everyone's always kind of wondered and guessed how much are they worth. So that number being there, along with a bunch of other estimations and evaluations, I think is huge. Um, but the most widely shared details, the ones that you may have seen if you're scrolling on social media that has anything to do with games, are the pieces of hardware. So there's a refresh to the existing systems, the Series S and the Series X. Uh, these, these appear to have refreshes coming in holiday of 2024. And the Series X, which you're seeing on the screen right now, that image uh, is pretty wild. Uh, we're seeing exactly how it may look. Like, that's, a, that's pretty much done. Like, you don't My get goodness. a render like that if the hardware's not already being molded and prepared and run through all the QA and all of that. Um, it's removed the disk drive, apparently. And this internal document, this was clearly never meant to go out to people because it uses the phrase adorably all digital. Um, that's his rubbing a hardcore segment of gamers the wrong way. Yeah. This is the kind of message that Phil Spencer would have never let get out because Microsoft has talked a lot about backwards compatibility. And what's more backwards compatible than discs, the ones mm -hmm. that you and your family have been buying maybe for years. So if Microsoft is really going to do that, then that would mean there's no Xbox Series system that would have a disk drive from 2024 on. Uh, and that's, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, but, and people are saying it. And I'm one of those who believes in being able to have choice when I want to get old games. Cause when you go to buy a digital copy of an old movie or old music, it's always going to cost more than the used disc. Mm -hmm. And that's three times as bad in gaming. So like think about Google Play or iTunes. Like why would I spend that much for a copy of, I don't know, Leaving Las Vegas? Why can't I just get that on a DVD? Yeah, video games are even worse in that way. So that's like the biggest, I think, thing of, of physical... Uh, one of the biggest things. There's some more, but I'll let you pop in real. Well, I think what what strikes me about that is is uh, a console that goes all digital runs uh, runs the risk of being seen as as having no true longevity in my mind. Like it really is a piece of hardware that exists for a specific moment in time, and once Microsoft decides that that moment has passed, that console's done. And and I realize that we've seen many consoles begin and end, but so many of the classic consoles, the ones that I grew up with, you can still go back and enjoy 100% of everything that ever happened on those consoles.
consoles because it's all physical physical media. And but here's here's where Microsoft here's where all these documents are interesting because Microsoft expects you to say that, and their response is, <laughs> "We are a multiple." <laughs> platform company. The whole point is we just want you on Xbox. Now that's been public messaging for a while, but they've talked about their plans for a new box in 2028. Right. And they actually have until the end of the calendar year this year is according to these documents from last year, which means things may have changed, but the plan was to finalize some serious specific hardware details by the end of this year, you know, the form factor, also the type of processor whether it's going to revolve on x64, which is sort of what standard computers and current systems use, or ARM, ARM, which is what the Switch and a lot of smaller electronics use. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a big decision that pushes. So, But they clearly still want us buying boxes or running in boxes, but there's other charts that make really clear they want you on subscriptions. They want you accessing the everything for, maybe from the cloud. There's, there's not all of the data there that shows them saying, yes, internet connections are good enough in enough of the world where we can actually do streaming because game streaming is a lot more intensive than, say, Netflix or other video streaming. Mm -hmm. But they're clearly trying to say, hey, you don't need the disc. We're going to make it so convenient. Keep paying us money. Keep buying into our subscriptions. Stay on the service and we'll keep you hooked up. And they're not the only big tech company to do so, but we now have so much detail as to how they plan on pushing this and that it's a multi-year strategy. This is not, this is something they need five years to sell. And instead, <laughs> this leak made it a lot faster. Oh my goodness. Wow. Talk about a uh- a curveball of epic proportions. Um, I know we haven't talked about the controller. We probably can't talk in detail about every single thing, but I do want to talk about, um, you mentioned Valve, and these documents seem to allude to Microsoft having at least the strong desire to possibly scoop up Nintendo or scoop up Valve or maybe even both. Does that even sound possible to you from an antitrust kind of uh, <laughs> we're in the midst of technology antitrust mecca right now? Is, the, is this even something that that is conceivable, A, and B, conceivable now that it's widely known? <laughs> so. What's interesting is these documents point back to something that had been revealed months earlier where someone saw an email that said Microsoft really wants to buy Sega. And these documents now open up that story and specify how much they wanted to buy Sega and what they would have paid. They would have gotten classic stuff like your Sonic the Hedgehog and newer Mm -hmm. games like Football Manager and everything in between. Um, But what I find interesting is, yes, Valve and Nintendo are mentioned, especially because bigger executives go, how big could we go? And Phil Spencer is very frank in just sort of replying to that as opposed to necessarily saying that's his priority. But there's some there's a conversation that evaded headlines this week. I want to point to this March of 2021. Phil Spencer is describing the importance of quote unquote engagement to drive Xbox success. So more people playing more games on Xbox is good for Xbox. That's duh, of course. But then he goes on to say this. I want to make it clear to Google Amazon, et cetera, that you are not going to catch us in gaming. And one of the reasons cited internally at Google for them divesting of the first party, meaning when they melted down their Stadia plan, was our ZeniMax acquisition, meaning Bethesda and all that, for the billions they spent on that. And he says, I just want to put us out of reach. And another reply in the chain points to that same narrative. I've heard as much from Google friends about the chill the ZeniMax acquisition had on their plan. So let's Mm. simmer on that for a second. This is a document that was handed to antitrust regulators about Microsoft's possible overreach in buying and acquiring other companies. And there's Phil Spencer, clear as day, saying to key Microsoft players that they should acquire more games 
game making companies to freeze out the competition. Mm-hmm. That sentence, that clause yeah. has not been making headlines and it blows my mind because it, what it's pointing to is they're saying this is how we compete. There's a whole other document where Spencer talks about what does it mean to be AAA when there's not a retail chain, when Best Buy and Circuit City aren't the things that drive us as the big, big companies to have mindshare. And his response is giant mega budget games with big anticipation. And Microsoft is kind of spelling out here, we will be AAA, not because we have space in store shelves, but because space in people's minds. And so mm-hmm. buying Call of Duty, buying World of Warcraft, buying Candy Crush and all those others is part of that. And I would really love to see regulators go and double down and look at what they're saying here. Because they're essentially saying, you know, uh, w- w- I want to put us out of reach. Holy cow. Hmm. Okay. So then in light of that, circling back to why we even see these documents to begin with, it's part of another, you know, it's part of an acquisition case or where Microsoft wants to buy Activision Blizzard. And in light of what you just said about some of these revelations, I mean, that seems to make a really strong case that maybe maybe something like this isn't a good idea because it's kind of playing into this idea of getting rid of all the competition so that there is one true player. Do you see docs like this? Well, what is your what is your take on your outlook on this case, I guess, uh, at this point? I think that Microsoft has made a big enough, it's done a lot of conceding, especially with European regulators Mm -hmm. to say, oh, you're concerned about us in the cloud. Okay, we're going to partner with other cloud companies and make sure that our stuff is also sort of interchangeable. Geoforce Now and some others are involved in that way. I don't know that regulators are going to take the action that they potentially could based on these documents. We don't really know. But I will say that the stuff they said about Nintendo uh, is going to blow up certain kinds of relationships, especially in Asia. The stuff where Phil, he, this is a long thing, but the short version is that he suggests that there's a Microsoft-friendly entity that now owns a bunch of stock in Nintendo. And he wants that stockholder to start pushing and shaking some branches at Nintendo to be like, why aren't you getting more quarterly money? Wouldn't align with a certain Western company mean you'd make more money on a quarterly basis? And I think Nintendo now seeing that clear as day as a listed potential strategy is going to freeze out anything they can and stick with a very specific Japanese way of business of continuing to shut out the idea of Microsoft and Nintendo getting buddy-buddy. There's a lot in the documents about that and the short version is some partnerships are going to be fine some partnerships especially with the u.s government are probably going to be untouched even if they should be more opened up even if they're making really clear that they're being sort of monopolistic and some partnerships are going to be embarrassed and irrevocably changed yeah so that's going to be a thing that we're not going to see play out immediately but there could be deals two three years from now because that's how long these take that suddenly are a little less microsoft specific but ultimately microsoft has a lot of mind share so they're still going to command presence game pass is as these documents show quite successful at getting people and and game companies want those eyeballs so i do think at this point the history books will be interesting on this 15 years from now is is sort of my my overall hunch on this yeah right on well sam such a pleasure getting you back on it's been too long i love hearing your take on all things gaming um where where do you want to point people uh, if people want to kind of follow what I you're doing right now? I don't use any of the other social medias. Samred.com shows things I'm writing and links to other stuff. So if you're there looking you for me and want to email me, that's where. So it's good to see everybody good to see and you, hopefully Sam. chat soon about nerd stuff. All right. Sounds Thank good. You, we'll, be, we'll be looking for the nerd stuff so we can uh, find the opportunity. Thank you again, Sam. We'll talk to you soon. 
All righty. Up next, we're going to take a look at the new devices and features Amazon announced at its recent product event. But first, I do want to take a quick break to tell you about Melissa. We're bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. Melissa, the data quality experts for 38 years. My word. Melissa has helped companies harness the value of their customer data to drive insight, maintain data quality and support global intelligence. We know all data goes bad, and it turns out up to 25% per year of data goes bad. Having clean and verified data helps customers to have a smooth, error-free purchase experience. Bad data is bad business and costs an average of $9 million each year. $9 million wasted. Flexible to fit into any business model, Melissa verifies addresses for more than 240 countries to ensure only valid billing and shipping addresses enter your system. Melissa's international address validation cleans and corrects street addresses worldwide. Chinese, Japanese, and Cyrillic are just a few of the writing systems that Melissa's global address verification supports. Addresses automatically transliterate from one system to another. You can focus your spending where it matters most. Melissa offers free trials and sample codes, flexible pricing, ROI guarantee, unlimited technical support to customers all around the world. And you can download their free Melissa Lookups app from Google Play or the Apple Store with no sign-up required. This is a great way to kind of see what Melissa is capable of doing. I've used this in the past when I keep getting stupid calls from people who like are clearly trying to spam me and trying to figure out where these numbers are coming from and being able to see, oh, this is all coming from one company and then trying to figure out if I can get off of their list. Uh, you can validate an address and personal identity in the USA or Canada. You can check global phone numbers to find caller, carrier, and geographical information, and you can check global IP address information, plus so much more. Once you're signed up with Melissa, it's easy to integrate their other services, including Melissa Identity Verification, which increases compliance, reduces fraud, and improves onboarding, or Melissa Enrich, which lets you gain insight into who and where your customers are. Melissa specializes in global intelligence solutions and undergoes independent third-party security audits. They're SOC 2, HIPAA, and GDPR compliant, so you know your data is in the best hands. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. That's melissa.com slash twit. And we thank Melissa, as always, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly and all of twit. All righty. So Amazon uh, had a product event where they announced several new products, but maybe not as many as we've seen in the past. The company is kind of known for rolling out product after product at its uh, annual ALEXA events. And this year, um, it felt a little sober in comparison. Uh, There are some iterations that I think we all should have expected to be happening. Uh, First and foremost, with an LLM-based generative AI um, ALEXA. So Amazon's virtual assistant is going to be powered and powered by and optimized for voice interactions using a uh, large language model. Hmm. So this is going to improve a lot of stuff. It means that uh, getting real time information, controlling the smart home, maximizing, you know, uh, entertainment, setting timers, whatever you happen to do with ALEXA, uh, you'll be able to do this now. Um, soon, 
you'll be able to test out some of these new capabilities before they roll them out. Uh, if you're in the US, you can say A-L-E-X-A, let's chat. And then that in the preview, it will kind of show you how the virtual assistant is changing, uh, how it sounds. And then also you'll be able to kind of understand its ability to reason, to infer your intent and understand complex requests. So you'll see a marked improvement in this. And I think what's most interesting for me about this is uh, they seem to be going kind of the Apple route um, in terms of what we've heard Apple is working on internally with generative AI. And I think this is the right way to do it. Um, What we see with Microsoft through Bing and with Google through Bard is a direct interaction between you and the generative AI and that is in the form of these chatbots. And these chatbots are unpredictable. We've seen them. It made up articles that I had written that I did not write. It, uh, hmm. I mean, it does all sorts of stuff. That you don't um, know that you wrote. Yeah. Whoa. Might I write them <laughs> in the future? Who knows? Um, and so what uh, Apple is reportedly doing is they are using generative AI to take what you are saying and translate it into something that the machine is going to understand every time. So right now, when I tell Siri to do something, I kind of have to speak Siri's language, right? Mm-hmm. And I ha- and and sometimes if I if I say to do a thing and do a thing, it doesn't do it exactly or it doesn't get it. With generative AI, it can take what you are saying, no matter how you say it. And then it can go, okay, you mean this, you mean this, you mean this, and then pass that information along to the assistant, have the assistant respond how you would expect it to. It seems like that's what Amazon is trying to do with ALEXA. It is uh, kind of keeping, it's avoiding the concern for, uh, for false information and some hallucination by making it so that it's just about translating human interaction into robotic interaction. And Mm. I think that's the way to go, honestly. Um, some other features that are coming to ALAXA including include an eye gaze mode. So right now you can use your voice to interact with the assistant or for the devices that support it, you can use touch. Um, for customers with speech or most mobility disabilities, they'll be able to use eye gaze uh, with their tablets to set uh, different actions like playing music and shows, controlling their home, uh, calling loved ones. So you don't have to use your hands. You don't even have to use your voice. Uh, and this is coming to the Fire Max tablets. Um, and then also ALEXA Emergency Assist. This is a way to it's it, think of it kind of like um, Life Alert or something similar. Uh, you can subscribe to this emergency assist feature, and uh, it's five ninety nine per month or fifty nine dollars per year, and it lets you uh, get safety services. Uh, as you need them, uh, including 24-7 urgent response, uh, something called smart alerts, and then emergency contacts. So think about if you fall in your home, uh, being able to use this emergency assist to not only contact uh, emergency services to come, but then also notify your family uh, or whoever your emergency contacts happen to be of what's going on. Um, another thing I thought was kind of cool, I, I didn't at first have this in the list, but uh, there's something called email to ALEXA. And the idea is that um, if you send an email, an invite, or even a photo that you take of an event to ALEXA, it will process the information that you send and then 
add it to your calendar and send you a confirmation. So maybe you're out and about and you see a flyer for a show that you want to go see, take a photo, send it to the virtual assistant, and then it will email you back and say, okay, I've added that to your calendar. So it's a little bit more getting into personal assistant territory, which is kind of what we wanted uh, out of this in the first place. Uh, Another fun thing is AI art on Fire TV. Um, So if you have a Fire TV, you'll be able to uh, kind of prompt the uh, virtual assistant on the Fire TV to create something fun to kind of use as a screensaver or a display on the TV. Um, That's going to be rolling out by the end of this year. And so in the background, you can have some fun uh, art that you plus the AI have created together. Um, As far as hardware goes, the company announced new Echo frames. I have to tell you, I am shook. Reader, he was shook because... Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I've, I've had echo frames and they looked ugly and they didn't sound good. And I didn't understand the point of them. The fact that they're still making echo frames <laughs> is surprising to me. However, they have significantly improved upon the design of the echo frames. These frames do look better. Um, so they use, uh, they, they say high end fashion, uh, plus, of course, uh, AliExA technology. I suppose it doesn't hurt to have good-looking models wearing mm-hmm. them as well. That kind mm-hmm. of adds to the... Uh, but no, they, there are several different pairs, and they kind of remind me of uh, Warby Parker yeah. um, glasses in that way. So yeah. you can use them to communicate with your virtual assistant. Uh, they have options for lenses, so UV protection, uh, prescription lenses, blue light lenses. Uh, they're, of course, splash and scratch resist- resistant. You'll get uh, media playback. You can also place calls on them. Uh, 14 hours of battery life, and um, they, of course, let you charge with uh, with the, the case that comes with it. So um, they do look a lot better. I wouldn't feel as much like I'm wearing um geek glasses on my face so much as I, I as I've seen in the past. So yeah, uh, those just look like normal sunglasses, but secretly it's, you know, it can be playing audio for you. Um former colleague uh Karsten Bondi had some echo frames and he actually quite liked them um for the ability to just have kind of an ambient listening experience going on while uh he was doing other things. Uh price starts at Um, so, you know, they're not inexpensive, but I suppose if you're there, yeah, look at those. Those just look like normal sunglasses. They do. Um, What that picture kind of hides is the the thicker thicker arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely has a little bit of extra chunkiness to it. But, but I mean, I say that to to kind of like pick at it a little bit, I suppose this is a far cry from where these kinds of things have been. I wish I would have brought in the frame so you could see. Yeah. Yeah. So people could see before it, you know, not only was it, uh, thick in terms of, of sort of the, the vertical nature, um, but it's width, on the side of your face was also, Mm. so it was, yeah, I mean, they, they were just big and they looked goofy. These look a lot better. better. Uh, There's a new Echo Show 8 um, that gets something called an ambient experience. Um, The way that this works is that uh, it will kind of change how what what's being displayed based on 
where you are in relation to the screen. So using computer vision um, and like ambient light sensors and all that stuff, it can determine your proximity. And so when you're further away, it's just going to show like a simplified news headline, perhaps, or a large clock information that you're actually able to see while you're standing across the room. But as you get closer, boom, 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 it transitions to a more detailed experience. And then also one that it goes, okay, now that you're closer, you can interact with it with touch. So I think that's very Mm. smart. Um, I, I like this idea of these devices interacting with us uh, just as much as we interact with them. Um, And then I wanted to mention something that I'm really happy to see them do. Uh, This, I think, is a bit of a a knife in the side of the um, smart photo frame uh, sort of ecosystem. They are releasing a uh, $1.99 a month which is, I think, a very good price called a Photo Plus subscription. And with the Photo Plus subscription, you can basically turn your Echo or Fire TV uh, into, and by Echo, I mean an Echo Show, any any device that has a screen, into a digital photo frame that other people can share photos to. Mm. So many people buy these these other products that are photo frames that there's some online service or yeah, an Nick's email. Play or, is yeah, Nick's them, Play. Yeah. And you, a couple of those. your family members can send photos to those. And they're great. They look great. But to have this one device that does it all and that I know people could be sending photos to, it's just smart. I'm, uh, you know, I'm surprised it's taken this long, yeah. this long to do it. It's surprising. It's a good idea to have. Um, the Echo Hub is a new product category for uh, Amazon, and it is meant to be a display you stick to your wall, and it lets you control your smart home. So it's completely wall mountable. You can use it if you want to uh, with a, a stand, but they really kind of show it as this eight inch touch screen that lets you control your smart home. Um, it uh, is it doesn't have any cameras or anything on it because it's not meant to be that. It is just kind of meant to be this display that you put on your screen or on your wall. It's a hundred eighty dollars. Um, it does have the it has all of the the devices that Echo and Amazon support, but it also has uh, Matter and Thread built in. Mm. And then you can um, use, if you'd like, you can use it with uh, power over Ethernet if you've got something that, that works with that. So if you wanted to kind of install it and have it constantly powered in the wall, you can do that as well. Um, I think it's a great idea. And along with that, they announced something new called Map View. And this is a pretty clever idea where you create a map of your home and then you notate where your smart home uh, accessories are in your home. So I've got lights here and I've got uh, the lock on my front door and I've got my garage door and I've got uh, a, a light strip against the wall. And then People can use, for example, that uh, Echo Hub or any device that supports Amazon's uh, ALEXA app to see the view in that map way and be able to go, okay, so these are the lights in the living room. I can adjust those, turn those on and off. I think that's a very clever idea they've come up with. Mm. Uh, That's rolling out later this year, and it is privacy preserving. Your map, your home map does not get shared uh, or used to market to you. A few other quick things. Um, a new Eero called the Eero Max 7. It starts at $600. Uh, that's because it packs in Wi-Fi 7. It has two 10 gigabit Ethernet ports on it and two, uh, I think, 2.5 gigabit Ethernet ports. Um, wow. This is the absolute 
you know, cutting edge latest in Wi-Fi technology built into a router. So obviously it's going to be a high price. It's a tri-band Wi-Fi 7. Um, it, if you've got that kind of connection at home and if you've got devices that support Wi-Fi 7, <laughs> uh, then you will be able to use this to the, to the, you know, full uh, capabilities. But I think what it does is it lets you go ahead and get this now and be prepared for the next step when it comes to all the devices also supporting Wi-Fi 7. Wow, three, three packs, $1,700. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, <clears throat> the Just the one pack on its own, just the one router is, I think, 2,500 square feet of, of you know, coverage. Uh, but if you've got more than that, aka if you live outside of California, <laughs> um, yeah. then you might want uh, the, the bigger size. Um, so all the money you're saving on rent, you can then buy the <laughs> bigger <laughs> size. Um, and then, of course, there are some some updates to Fire TV, the second generation Fire TV Stick 4K, which is an it's forty nine ninety nine, um, and so this is a great price for a streaming dongle. Um, not a whole lot of improvements, other than it's you know it's faster, but it has Wi Fi six, uh, and then there's the Fire TV Stick four K Max second generation. Oh dear. This one packs in a new thing called the ambient experience. And what this does is it kind of eliminates blank screens. So anytime you are, you know, instead of uh, going to like a screensaver mode or uh, when there happens to be an interstitial screen, it will show you some other kind of a smart display. So it can have, you know, your family calendar, the local weather forecast, the reminders. Uh, you can also, as I mentioned um use it to create AI artwork, or you can also use uh, the collection of more than 2000 free uh, gallery quality pieces of artwork to have displayed on your screen. So it's just kind of a nice way to keep stuff uh, displayed on the, the the screen whenever it's not in use. Uh, if you, if you happen to do that there uh, for folks who are listening, we've got kind of a, a slideshow playing of the different things that you can possibly uh, go on the screen. I think it's quite nice, although mm-hmm. I'm sure it will quickly become a way for Amazon to advertise oh, I'm sure. products to us. Yeah, no, uh, no, no doubt. Outside of that, so there's a new Fire TV sound bar, um, which is a 24-inch sound bar that, of course, works well when integrated uh, with Fire TV stuff. Some updates to both Blink and Ring. So Blink is one of their home security device manufacturers. Ring is the other home security device manufacturer. Uh, new kind of stick-up cams. Blink is the more budget-friendly option, where Ring is the more kind of feature-packed uh, and pricier option, including a Ring stick-up cam pro. Um, that is almost everything. There's some yeah, stuff there's for more. kids yeah, um, totally. and family, but we don't, we don't really need to go into that because it's just, uh, for the most part, some iterative updates to, uh, family stuff and, and kids stuff. So while it sounds like a bunch of new products, um, it is less than we've seen the company announce in the past. So it's feeling less like spaghetti projects. Yeah. And- that's what I was going to say. There isn't a whole lot there. That's kind of like, Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this? maybe the frames, but they already did that. Yeah, you know, this is just an iteration on yeah, that design. Yeah. There's no new robot that they want you to put in your house. <laughs> right. um, it is, and I, I kind of this is refreshing to me because I was getting tired of seeing the company use its customers as its means of alpha and beta testing its products, mm. making you pay for them 
and test them and then tell them how the experience goes. Right. It wasn't just, you know, we'll send this to you, you try it, you see what you think, and then we consider making it a product. No, you had to buy it. And then if if it was garbage, then you you paid for it. It's mm-hmm. it, it was a bad, I feel, a, a, a bad way of doing business. So seeing these iterative updates, I think, is a better idea. And I am very excited to see the improvements or even just changes to ALEXA by way of uh, large language model. Now, I don't know if they have, if Amazon has its own large language model, what it's using, um, but hopefully we'll see some more about that um, uh, as as time goes on and we get more access to this. So a lot of this stuff rolling out over time. Um, we, of course, can link to the Amazon page that has links to all of this stuff as well. Uh, so you can kind of figure out if there's anything on that list. I know I'm eyeballing that new Eero for sure. I thought for sure you were going to get the frames. Oh, golly. Not me. Next episode, you're going to be sporting (laughs) some new glasses. Oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, So, yeah, that's that's what Amazon uh, announced earlier this week. Right on. Well, we have reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly. We thank you so much for watching and listening every Thursday when we record this and release it. You can subscribe by going to twit.tv slash TNW. Find all the ways to subscribe there. Uh, If you're outside of the club, that's the way to support us. Subscribe to the feed and, uh, you know, download it each and every week. And we appreciate you when you do that. Um. I I want to point out that uh, a great way to help out and to make sure we can continue to bring these shows to you each and every week is by joining the club. You know, I'm looking around me and it seems like the walls are, are moving in closer and things are just disappearing as we have to to sell them all to keep this to keep this studio alive. Oh dear. Uh, and, and we, <laughs> Things just got really dark in here. The the square footage of the studio seems to be shrinking around me as ah! we have to sell off square foot by square foot just to keep the lights on. So please consider joining the club so I don't get squeezed into the middle of these walls at twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, for just $7 a month, uh, $84 a year, you make a huge impact on what we're able to do here at Twit, uh, at twit.tv slash club twit. When you join the club, you get some great stuff. Does it sound desperate? Yes, that's because it is desperate. Um, it's it would be great to have you there you get every single twitch show with no ads it's just the content because you in effect are supporting the show uh you get access to the twit plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else behind the scenes before the show after the show special club twit events uh get published in the club and that means that there's a huge back catalog so like when you join the club for the first time you get to look back and see a bunch of stuff that you might oh that interview Ooh, there was an ama with this Ooh. Ooh, fireside chat. It's so fun to be able to look at that library of content and, and get a bunch of stuff. Again, uh, twit.tv slash club twit, $7 a month, $84 a year. You'll also gain access to the club twit discord, a fun place to go to chat with your fellow club twit members. And many of us here at twit, uh, as Leo says, it's the best social media network on the internet. And we'd love to have you join us in the club. Um, along with that, we continue to launch new shows that are Club Twit exclusive shows. Uh, so you get 
Lots of great content, including the Untitled Linux show. Uh, you also will get to check out Hands on Windows, which is a short format show from Paul Therott that covers Windows tips and tricks. Hands on Mac, which is a short format show that covers Apple tips and tricks. I've got a bunch of episodes uh, ready for you. It's uh, very, uh, very exciting, the, the kind of next iteration and, and rollout of, of episodes that I've got for you, um, as well as Home Theater Geeks uh, from Scott Wilkinson that covers home theater uh, products, home theater announcements, and everything in between. Um, and not to mention, but to mention, AI Inside, uh, which is Jason Howell's show in the club, all about artificial intelligence. Um I believe I said starting at $7 a month or $84 a year. That's not because it's a tiered subscription where you only get AI inside if you pay $15 a month or something like that. No. If you pay $7 a month, you're going to get all of that stuff I just talked about. But we did hear from some folks who said, we'd like to give you a little bit more money because they heard about those walls closing in. Uh, so we said, okay, great. Uh, so some folks have opted to pay uh, more than $7 a month. But yes, regardless of the amount that you pay, as long as it's $7 or more, you will get all of that stuff. Again, twit.tv slash club twit. If you'd like to follow me online, check out the work that I have done. Um, you can head to at Micah Sargent on many a social media network or go to chihuahua.coffee, C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A coffee where i've got links to the places i'm most active online um and you should check out later today if you're a member of club twit hands on mac uh you can check out on sundays ask the tech guys with leo laporte and yours truly where we take your tech questions live on air and do our best to answer them or on tuesdays you can watch ios today with rosemary orchard and again yours truly this upcoming episode will be all about the new iphones we'll be reviewing those so i'm looking forward to that jason howell what about you well, I uh, can be found on Twitter slash X at Jason Howell. Can be found on Mastodon, twit.social slash at Jason Howell. Um, I have to look into that Chihuahua thing because I know that links to something else that has all of your links and I need to just like make something like that. It's easier to point people to just one place. Um, but yes, I my other show right now is AI Inside. Right now you can only get it if you're in the club, but we are streaming it live so if you're around on thursdays 1 p.m pacific you can tune into the live stream twit.tv slash live and see what you're missing uh it'll be me and jeff jarvis today we're speaking with uh nareet weissblatt who is the author of tech lash and has a new blog about the ai tech lash so we're going to talk all about that so that's going to be a lot of fun uh big thanks to everybody here in the studio who help us do this show each and every week john john there's burke behind the scenes sometimes ants in here throwing things around everybody gets involved we've got anthony today anthony that's right anthony is filling in that's right i couldn't see behind the monitors so i (laughs) didn't get there there he is okay now i got it um and thank you for watching and listening each and every week we appreciate you and we'll see you next time on tech news weekly bye-bye bye everybody Hey, I'm Rod Pyle, Editor-in-Chief of Ad Astra Magazine, and each week I join with my co-host to bring you This Week in Space, the latest and greatest news from the final frontier. We talk to NASA chiefs, space scientists, engineers, educators, and artists, and sometimes we just shoot the breeze over what's hot and what's not in space, books, and TV. And we do it all for you, our fellow true believers. So whether you're an armchair adventurer or waiting for your turn to grab a slot in Elon's Mars rocket, join us on This Week in Space and be part of the greatest adventure of all time. 